Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Food and Drink Podcast, a series that asks how food and agriculture can achieve impacts against the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. I'm Oliver Nyberg, a former journalist for food and drink industry publications and now an analyst for Lumina Intelligence Sustainability, an insights service on cocoa, coffee, tea and palm sustainability and the producer of this podcast. In this episode, certification models are not at all delivering on a significant, let alone systemic change anymore. They are really there to, to message a feel-good factor that is not necessarily linked to reality. This episode featured a discussion with Jerome Douglas, Executive Director of Solidaridad. It was recorded in June this year. Jerome became the NGO's head in May this year after his predecessor, Nico Rosen, a founding father of Fair Trade, Max Havilar, and Oots certified, retired. Solidaridad helped form certification standards, but has been critical of certification in recent years. Here Jerome gives his thoughts on how certification can stay relevant, and at the end of the podcast I'll read out the responses we received from the biggest um, certification standard organisations, Fair Trade and Rainforest Alliance. Solidaridad's campaigning historically has focused on a fair price for farmers. I started asking Jerome how far cocoa, coffee and tea producers are from a fair price. So it depends on what, uh, what benchmark of course you take. So uh, there is a lot of uh, thought process in the concept of uh, living income, for instance. Uh, but analyzing the numbers, it's, uh, it is a rather political uh, um, indicator, we feel. Um, I've read, for instance, in the case of Coco, pending the countries where you are, that um, that living income varies uh, uh, from three to four to seven to eight dollars per per farmer per per day, and uh, so uh, nonetheless, um, I'm not a hundred percent sure whether you can really reach, I would say, well-being with just six or seven dollars a day. So yeah, there is a lot of uh, a lot of um, uh, thought process into the standard of living income. And uh, that is deliberately uh, way beyond the poverty line, eh, by the way. In the case of cocoa farmers, you can see that in a, in a large survey that is, uh, that is uh, being taking place, it's not yet published, so it's preliminary, I cannot quote uh, the source, but uh, like 70% or so of households uh, that are working in, in, in cocoa farmers are not even reaching uh, the poverty line. And only a very few of them manage to go beyond the living income line. So, yeah, I think that's the ball game now. And uh, there we have to, to have a critical stance to see how um, uh, sustainable supply chain can make a difference. You seem to be suggesting that there's there's so much variation in in living income, and that potent, potentially some of the estimate, some of the some of the indicators on living income may be significantly significantly underestimating the co- the true cost of living in, say, Cote d'Ivoire and uh, and Ghana. I mean, wh- why might that be happening? Well, I think we have to distinguish here two things. One is the definition debate on living income itself, and that's uh, that's a co- highly contentious issue. Um, and the other one is how uh, what are the numbers on household level? So the living income debate 
uh, well, um, we know that the poverty line, uh, as set by um, by uh, SDG one, is a dollar ninety a day. Below that, you're in extreme poverty. So, uh, so the question is, what is a living income line? So, studies show, for instance, in Cote d'Ivoire, that that should be like six dollars. With that, one is supposedly be able not only to uh, to, uh, to 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 finance your basic needs, but also uh, contribute to well-being. Whilst, um, uh, yeah, other studies show that that should be at least twenty to twenty-five dollars a day. So that's there's a lot of debate over there how that can be discussed. And others, again, they say it's just three or four dollars a day. Um, my only my only point here is if you look to uh, to uh, the global population, eighty-three uh, percent of world population is living be- below ten thousand dollars a year, and I think it is more interesting to look to the ten thousand dollars a year benchmark than just um, the daily uh, debate on poverty line versus living income line. So, but that's a whole debate in itself, and uh, definitely that needs more study and research. Then the second part of the debate is the the income per household achieved, and there you can see that in the case of uh, Cote d'Ivoire and cocoa farmers, maybe 80% is below the poverty line, and and maybe three or four percent of the households are above a living income line of six dollars. So yeah, what can you learn from that is that. Uh, that uh, that uh, even if it is so-called sustainable, uh, it is not really bringing cocoa farmers out of the poverty trap. And what what do you feel needs to be done to to, to bridge that gap? Because I mean, even with a lot of those programs, there that there is no measures, at least for a lot of them, communicating you know, the income of farmers within those within those programs. So we don't know to what extent that's, you know, those programs are even helping. So what does Solidaridad, what's it pushing for, for to improve cocoa farmer income? So, so two things here, uh, Oliver. One is uh, within what I would call our, uh, our longstanding sector transformation strategy, as we call it, we are now working... Uh, for over 20 years trying to make the cocoa sector more sustainable within that sector. Uh, I think uh, we have to look in, 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 in how to get a little bit more scale, uh, how to also do um, uh, more policy work in order to improve uh, transparency in the pricing mechanisms so as to ensure that far get better access to, uh, to, 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 to prices and, and that, uh, well, uh, the big elephant in the room is, of course, the fact that, uh, that cocoa is being traded through, uh, through uh, some national monopolists, uh, price setters. So that is, that is, of course, a big debate. But uh, beyond that, and that is not only the case of cocoa, but also in coffee and in tea and in other commodities. We see that um, the future for smallholder farming in the tropics uh, requires a new strategy. 
And that new strategy I can, of course, share with you. Uh, we are thinking now in a process as an organization. We are actually critically rethinking our 20 years sector transformation strategy. As you know, Solidaridad has been pushing sector transformation through its certification models. And it's time to look into, uh, into a, a thorough evaluation of the results. Solidaridad's in involvement in the emergence of fair trade certification standards like fair trade in, uh, in UTS, um in, in the 1980s. Can you, can you just des describe how those fair trade standards came about and how Solidaridad was involved? So how did fair trade emerge? It came from the insight that, um, well, that we needed to move from aid to trade. That's more the basic insight from the 80s. Um, and that um, um, trade could uh, potentially uh, give a much stronger leverage to farmers in terms of building an improved business case, uh, taking more control over their own future. That is the origin of fair trade. And uh, yeah, that is uh, where we found a niche in the Dutch market and later on also in other markets in Europe. So we started it under the local Dutch name Max Havelaar. And uh, five years later, in 1995, Solidaridad was quite instrumental in building the umbrella organization, Fair Trade Labeling Organization. And as you know, nowadays, the label uh, represents over $3 billion of trade and is a, uh, a globally recognized label you can find everywhere. And Solidaridad uh, takes pride of being the initiator of the label. I mean, it's yeah, the certification has evolved you know, quite significantly since since that, that, that time. We, and we did um, a bit of research on around uh, 3,000 products in chocolate, coffee and tea, and we found that about 28% of those products make a, either a certification claim, a, a company sustainability program claim or, 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 or an organic claim and now the majority of commitments by the food and drink industry in, in their CSR reporting, the majority of pledges are towards certification so it's kind of driving the driving the agenda but with this you know huge proliferation of claims on pack and the commitments to certification you know, has the have the lives of farmers actually changed, and has it made much of a contribution and a difference to the environment? For example, how would you assess the the impact made by certification? Well, it has certainly laid the basis for a sustainability pathway. It has certainly created a lot of awareness uh, among supply chainers. Uh, uh, members that uh, that we need to be more transparent and more insightful, but it has not necessarily created the desire to make uh, make changes on the ground. Uh, still, despite all the efforts, the business case uh, for smallholder certified farmers from the tropics is is very thin. If you look to uh, what they get for the product, despite all the efforts. Uh, on average, depending a bit of the commodity, if you re if you compare it to the retail price, farmers still are just staying with a lousy three, four, five, maximally six percent of the retail price. So we were unable to really make a significant uh, leap there by giving much more, uh, let's say, share of the value chain back to the farmers. So that we were unable to change that. 
and and uh, we have tested that, that in four generations of certification support so fair trade indeed is where we started as an organization to be involved in this whole mechanism of sector transformation uh, we call it the consumer labels uh, generation the first generation of, of, of certification labels organic is also uh, there the second generation was more the corporate uh, responsibility labels also company codes they were developed uh, the second half of the 90s primarily uh, and then the third generation were more the sector approaches so we saw that we needed to uh, bring entire sectors together that was the birth of the commodity round tables as you already mentioned rtrs uh, beef palm sugar and then the fourth generation we see over the last four or five years in countries like brazil in Mexico, but also in India, Indonesia, you see uh, what we call national standards coming up. Uh, big consuming countries are also big producing countries, and there is a desire to develop also some transparency labels for the national markets, uh, ma mainly from food security point of view, by the way. So we see four generations of labels, and I totally agree that has created a huge proliferation of labels, of awarenesses, but uh, awarenesses and transparency and labels is one thing. The other thing is, does it really drive an agenda for change? Your predecessor, who was one of the founding fathers of the, those fair trade standards, suggested that certification had overpromised and underdelivered and said the adjective fair is not easily justified and runs the risk of overpromising in a world rife with persistent unfairness. So was Solidaridad right in the first place to advocate for something that hasn't perhaps achieved as much impact as expected and where do we go from here? Well, yes, I mean, the intentions at the start were brilliant and really uh, enlightened, one could almost uh, say, but uh, in a way also quite naive. Uh, we were, for instance, uh, not fully uh, um, experts on branding and marketing, but neither on, on standard setting. It was done between a few people. The concept of multi-stakeholderism did not exist as of yet. And most importantly, um, the whole system of certification, um, the structure, the cost structure of the certification model. Uh, yeah, it was, if you look now in hindsight, which is always easy, of course, 25 years later, it was not the most uh, uh, cost effective model. Uh, one could even say, in most cases, the certification industry uh, is... Yeah, almost like a virtual economic layer that is sort of in between what consumers are willing to pay for and what farmers receive. So the absorption uh, of the costs of the premium it can go as high as 60, 70 percent of the premium paid going to the certification industry. So the certification industry nowadays, voluntary sustainability standards and the entire audit industry is uh, is invoicing between three and four billion dollars a year. So that is huge. What do you feel the certification 
standards where do they need to, what do they need to do now to, to to prove impact i mean it's unlikely that fair trade is going to remove the the, the word fair it is changing its minimum price and um premium against a study on living income but does that in your view go far far enough what else needs to be done uh, the case of tea is quite uh, compelling not too long ago i was at the launch in india of trinity which is a new sort of uh, national initiative that builds on self-assurance instead of certification. Uh, and, and, uh, but I think anywhere in Europe, uh, it is difficult, if not extremely difficult, to find a tea that is without any certification label. In other words, all tea sold in Europe uh, echoes the smell of sustainability. Whereas what came very clear to me when I was in India, that the tea sector is in a bigger crisis than it ever was uh, for reasons of migration of workers, uh, even pressure on the prices uh, to pick tea. Nowadays, a tea worker earns more than uh, a tea uh, farmer. Uh, The prices are so low, it is even uh, not a good business case. Uh, sustainability is an issue, demand for quality is uh, under serious threat as as tea is more and more becoming um, mixed with sugar and they call it an uh, uh, iced tea. So in other words, what I got clear from farmers, from stakeholders is that the tea is in a deeper crisis than it probably ever was over the last 20 years, whereas on the consumer side, everybody has the impression that the teas are sustainable. So uh, what is the lesson learned here, I feel at least, Oliver, is that that certification models are not at all delivering on significant, uh, let alone systemic change anymore. They are really, uh, yeah, there to 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 uh, to message a, a feel good factor that is not necessarily linked to reality. And then your question: How to change that? Uh, where do certification systems need to go to? Well, they need to critically look into into uh, how uh, how uh, certification systems could uh, drive an agenda that tries to influence uh, local and international policy, for instance, and from the awareness that those voluntary sustainability standards, in fact, were all born out of uh, misery, I would say, from the awareness that ultimately uh, we should create a better uh, regulatory scheme framework that allows for better prices for farmers, that allows for better policy and transparency and uh, better financing of, uh, of the industry uh, and, and, and that uh, we responded with voluntary actions uh, from uh, aware and concerned consumers primarily. But the reality is that we need to uh, uh, to change uh, regulatory frames in order to really create speed and scale of impact. So ultimately, uh, the voluntary standards, uh, they should move to become uh, watchdogs and to promote uh, the uh, let's say the, the 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 regulatory frames based on the standard packages. 
a, a kind of regulatory framework that you're that you're looking for would it would would it be something um eu wide how would it work in a large market like the united states for example and how likely is that to to, to happen in the, the united states we've seen recently some some legislation in in france on the on ethical labeling but can you can you realistically uh -huh. see that happening in the u.s well, I think we need to uh, distinguish here maybe uh, two levels. One is uh, in the countries of origin. I think uh, governments who are using cash crops in order to uh, to to get uh, access to uh, international strong currencies, they need to be held accountable by their own people on how they want to distribute. Uh, and strengthen a sector that also brings a better business case to farmers. So that's one level in the production countries. The other level is indeed, can we uh, promote um, a, uh, an import market for sustainability that really shows impact on the ground? And so that is not necessarily benchmarked to the current voluntary sustainability standards. Uh, I, uh, I would even go as far by uh, by looking into the question whether the concept of sustainability has sort of been hijacked by the industry that is looking to certification models, because really what I just sketched with the case of tea, uh, which is also in other commodities the case, but in the case of tea it is very uh, very dominant, uh, available, uh, visible. What what do we really want to achieve? Uh, is it just a, a feel-good factor and transparency, or do we really want to ensure a better business case for for those smallholder farmers that are still uh, largely not reaching uh, even the poverty line, let alone a living income line? That brings us to the end of the podcast. We contacted both Fairtrade and Rainforest Alliance. Fairtrade said its minimum price and premium provides a safety net for farmers. Fairtrade said it has been working with the Global Living Wage Coalition to set living wage benchmarks for workers. It also said it supported um, the Ivorian and Ghanaian government's price increases um, in cocoa that will take effect in October 2020. Um, but Fairtrade also said it welcomes collaboration Rainforest Alliance told us that certification must evolve um, and it called on greater collaboration too. It said certification alone cannot solve all the challenges. Um, Rainforest Alliance said it is reimagining certification in particular to harness the power of data. It sent us um, a list of um, actions that the organization was, was taking, which you'll see in the full statements from both Fairtrade and Rainforest Alliance in the text article um, accompanying this podcast. Um, Jerome of Solidaridad also told me that um, his organization is reviewing its strategy. The NGO is looking for farmers to move to data intelligence on farms and to more crop diversity. Um, the NGO will also be calling for regulation to create speed and scale of impact. Um, this, as we understand, may well become a reality at EU level. 
quite uh, recently the um, the incoming president of the European Commission, Ursula von, uh, von der Leyen, um, who will take office on the 1st of December. She called for climate, environmental and labour protections that would be enshrined in EU trade agreements um, with a zero tolerance to child labour. Um, a couple of large companies in the cocoa sector, as we understand it, back um, such regulation, but um, also attending the World Cocoa Foundation Partnership meeting in Berlin in October. We also understand some companies are hesitant. Um, so thank you very much for sticking with us. Please do subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, um, Spotify, or your favorite podcast um, platform. In upcoming episodes, we'll be asking if the Airbus satellite mapping system can really end deforestation. We'll also be asking how on-pack QR codes can turn marketing dollars to funds for sustainability. So until next time, goodbye.